This topic feels sort of distant from everything that we've recently been discussing, reading, and listening to, but yet it is so critical because race is intricately linked to everything we do in this country. And part of the conversations and realities we're facing regarding race in this country ties into feeding hungry kids. According to Feeding America, African-American households face hunger at a rate more than twice that of white, non-Hispanic households. And getting enough to eat is a consistent struggle for one in four African-American children. COVID-19 has exacerbated these disparities with many BIPOC communities experiencing higher death rates, food insecurity, and loss of employment. The clear connections between race, wealth, and health have been highlighted with the fact that school-aged children being unable to get access to the food that they would have otherwise had shows just how hunger disproportionately affects kids of color in the United States. So listen in to learn what's happening and how you can help. Hi, welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. And today we're talking about feeding kids in the summer when there is no school lunch and ways that we can help. But before we get started with that, we wanted to give a shout out to our listener of the week, Risha Rue on Instagram, who pointed out after our episode 25, remember back then in episode 25? Wow. We did a conversation on school lunches. And she pointed out how frustrating it was that after all we know about fueling our bodies and minds and what it takes to sort of be physically and mentally healthy, that public school lunches, much as we're so grateful to have them, are still really kind of unappetizing and probably not the best balanced. And she was saying, for example, Aspen Public Schools, which is a very wealthy area in Colorado, apparently gets real home-cooked meals, no cans in their kitchen. And while we at the show have not been able to independently fact check that, the disparity in public school systems is real. You can go back and hear our thoughts on the educational inequality in general in our country, which is something that A, we need to take our blinders off and really, really see, and B, is something that we can probably do something about if we really wanted to help. So I guess I just wanted to point that out and give thanks to Risha Rue for you know noting that there are bigger issues aside from just the school lunches and the disparities that we see you know once we even are lucky enough to have them. And as you were discussing that, like I cried a little on the inside for Michelle Obama. I was like, Michelle Obama, where are you? I need you. (laughs) So true. Okay. Just thinking about like healthy foods and lunches and like her platform. Totally. Uh, But it reminds me that we are lucky enough to have a contact that we are going to interview in the fall. She is a nutritionist and school lunch specialist and is going to talk to us about what is really happening in the school district. Because I went to eat at my kid's school once. It was like a palette of beige. That was what, and I'm like, (laughs) all right, I can't, like, I remember having tray lunches as a kid. I don't know why I liked it then. I just, I can't do it for my kids right now. I do make, I mean, we had food sensitivities, so whatever, but yeah, there's something, these lunches. Yeah, I believe it. When kids have hot lunch, It's a little different because, again, private school. But, yeah, like my husband has all sorts of stories of his school lunches growing up in Louisiana. Yeah. Well, I'll have to hear those at some time for sure. Yes. Well, so as we're recording this in early May, schools have been closed in most places for at least seven weeks and will likely remain closed until the fall, if not longer. Yeah, we were just talking about how it'll be some combination of in-person and online learning in the fall, probably. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. 
Yeah. So we've already seen how school closure impacts not just those of us who are now suddenly homeschooling our children, but more directly, those families who rely on the services that those schools provide to make sure that their kids are taken care of, starting with basic needs like food. One of our favorite programs, Blessings in a Backpack, which focuses on feeding kids during weekends when there is no school, has been working on a national level to make sure that this extended period of no school doesn't leave millions of kids hungry. The program's response to COVID-19 was really thoughtful and flexible, depending on the community, as they focused on aligning with the school's food distribution solution and other sort of local initiatives. So they didn't just come in saying, this is what you're going to do. They've really been mindful about what people are already doing in their communities. So, for example, from when schools closed in March for COVID, I'll give you a couple of examples of what they've done. In Syracuse, New York, the school district was continuing to feed all of the 569 students they serve through a grab-and-go program during the weekdays, while the Blessings program at the Delaware School continued to feed all these kids by passing out pre-packed bags of food to the kids on Fridays for the weekend. In a suburban Chicago school district, staff and volunteers are packing bags and doubling from the standard 750 bags to 1,500 bags, each having additional food items. And these are going to be distributed at one school with a drive through process. In some program locations like Huntington, Indiana and Newark, New York, the school system is distributing food, including blessings bags of food, to students using their school busing system, which is really creative. Yeah. Um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, they went above and beyond normal activities of the program. And to ensure that kids at her school have food to eat, program coordinator Debbie Porter packed and delivered enough bags to the school to last the kids until mid-May. I mean, this was from March until May, two months worth of food. It's amazing. Right? Kids got to take home as much as they could so they have food on the weekends when they're not in class. And for school districts that have created food distribution centers at specific schools, Blessings bags of foods will be available at the centers for kids to take home with them. So, for example, in Louisville, Kentucky, any children under the age of 18 who eat meals at a designated feeding site will receive a bag of food. I love all of these because, you know, when I was conceptualizing schools closing and the need for school lunches, I was largely focused on the Monday through Friday need. But when you think about all of the food insecurity that happens over the weekends, too, and how those kids are relying on that food help. It makes so much sense to have that additional food. But if you're not planning for that, then that is a huge issue. Absolutely. Unfortunately, you know, now we're in a period where every school is closed and it's not because of the coronavirus. And this brings us to our focus for this episode. We want to talk about summer food insecurity, which is basically, you know, you mentioned it just now, but a fancy term for what happens to kids when schools close, not just physically like now, but in terms of all services for the summer. There is insecurity and lack of knowledge about where they might get their next meal. So according to Feeding America, children are more likely to experience summer hunger as families struggle to make up for lost school meals. And these next stats from Feeding America are really eye-opening. So during the school year, 22 million kids rely on the National School Lunch Program for free and reduced price meals. And, you know, as a result, when this school lets out, all those daily meals go away. So less than 4 million kids receive the meals from the USDA Summer Food Service Program. So that leaves a gap of 18 million children who may not know where their meals are coming from. 18 million. 
I was going to say that's a lot of children. Yeah. So last summer, and these are stats from 2019. So last summer, meaning the summer of 2018, the Feeding America Network of Food Banks provided 10 million meals to hungry children through the Summer Food Service Program. All across the country, schools and community groups run summer meal sites where kids can eat breakfast and lunch for free. Organizations like No Kid Hungry, a favorite of the podcast, helps local organizations launch and operate these sites. And they also help fund needed equipment like mobile meal trucks. But, and if you think about this, this is like a, of course, moment, but you also, it might not be the first thing that comes to mind. These neighborhood meal sites aren't much good if families don't know about them. That's why No Kid Hungry also runs a summer meals texting service. So parents, grandparents, and caregivers can text food, just the word food, to 877-877 to find free summer meal sites in their neighborhoods. Summer meal programs also focus on bringing food to places where kids spend time during the summer, maybe with lunch at a neighborhood pool. And again, this is from summers past. So, you know, if there are pools that open the summer that are open this summer by the time you hear this or a meal during library story time, again, if that exists this summer. So this summer, unlike years past, where some organizations offered farmers markets, pool parties, or farm-to-table lessons to these kids about where this food is coming from, we're not sure what's going to be available at the time that you're listening to this. Hopefully, there will be some programs that will be able to remain in some fashion, but we're just not sure what those will look like right now. It's also too important to remember, actually, that even if summer hunger is temporary, its impact can last a lifetime. Children who miss breakfast and lunch are more likely to be sick, inattentive, and disruptive when they return to the classroom. And especially in a time like now, we want all of our children to be healthy. In addition, children facing hunger often grow up in a family where a parent or parents also face hunger. For example, a family of four facing hunger may need 35 additional meals a month simply because they don't have enough money to buy enough food. 84% of households Feeding America serves report buying the cheapest food instead of healthy food in order to provide enough to eat. 25% of children in households at risk of hunger may be forced to rely exclusively on hunger relief charities like Feeding America to make ends meet. So if you're listening to this and you want to help, we get it. You know, sometimes it feels like where to start because you get emails, you get, you see commercials, you get texts you have no idea. It's like information overload. So we're trying to make it very simple. Feeding America, for example, has some easy ways to fight hunger as a family. And so Sarah, you and I can just like read through this list of them because I thought that list was great. So first, read and reflect on hunger. Tell your child a story about someone who struggles with hunger. That Feeding America has a family action plan, which we will provide those links to. But so there's a story in there that you can use. Watch one of the videos on the Feeding America website or read a book together and then discuss what that person might be feeling. You know, we love books here at the podcast as a real teaching tool, especially for kids who are too young in some ways to understand the topics that are coming at them from the media. And I think this is a lot more effective than the strategy my parents employed when we were young, which is finish what's on your plate. Don't you know they're hungry kids in Africa? And you're just like, huh? (laughs) Right? Like it doesn't, I mean, sorry, that's what we were told in our house growing up sometimes. And it's like, this seems like it's a lot more real, right? It's tangible and it's a real way to explain what is happening to people who are in different 
positions relating to food insecurity or hunger in our culture now, in our country. Yeah, I actually totally guilty of employing that tactic recently, not about kids in Africa, but that there are kids in our country who don't have enough to eat. And, you know, my younger son was kind of like, I don't understand what you're saying to me because he's so young that, you know, children are so focused on themselves and their immediate world. So I totally agree. That book, that story gets them to really think in a way that's much more tangible than the abstract other people. Another one that I love is start a donation jar. Collect donations for your local food bank or pantry. Involve your child in the process by having them decorate the jar and choose where it should be placed in your home. And while, you know, a lot of food banks are not able to accept tangible goods, at least at the time we're recording this, they can always accept donations. So this is so big. I think that's great. Couple of other ideas. Host a lemonade stand or a birthday party. I mean, you could raise funds by hosting an online event where proceeds go to Feeding America or your local food bank. You could plant a family garden. We are huge fans of family gardens in our home. And you could, if you have space, extend your family garden and donate the excess produce to your local food bank or plant a new one if that's at all possible. Another option is to volunteer as a family. And volunteering as a family is a great way to spend time together while also giving back. The Feeding America Network of Food Banks serves virtually every community across the country. And I do realize that sometimes with smaller children, it is there are age restrictions on volunteer opportunities. So take a moment to check that out. But, you know, if you're involved in a community group like Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, 4-H, maybe there's other options like the whole group volunteering together virtually or maybe in person if those opportunities exist. I love that. And in addition, one thing that we love to do as a family over here, if someone in your family has a big day coming up, maybe consider a donation in their name instead of a physical gift, especially if you were earmarking a certain amount of money, if you are fortunate enough to have that to be spending on gifts for, let's say, Mother's Day or Father's Day or a birthday we always donate in that person's name to an organization that we feel, you know, that person, we know that that person supports, we know that contains that same values that that person has. And no one has ever gotten upset about that one. I love that. That is so thoughtful. We just did that for we're recording this right before Mother's Day. We just did that in the names of our mothers for Mother's Day. So yeah, it just makes sure that we are able to share some of what we have and that we are so grateful to have, to have with others who are not as fortunate. Thanks for sharing that idea. I mean, if you or someone you know is hungry, the USDA National Hunger Hotline remains a really helpful resource for people seeking food assistance. The hotline is operated by Hunger Free America, and it can be reached Monday through Friday between 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The number is 1-866-3-HUNGRY or 1-866-348-6479. Or if you are needing to call in Spanish, one 877 there are resources out there. There are plenty of people who want to help. And so for everybody listening on all ends of the spectrum, let's keep this in mind as a way for us to engage this summer and help feed children and people who need food to make it through. If you love what you're hearing, subscribe to the Dear White Women podcast so you don't miss any of our anti-racist, identity-affirming episodes released every Wednesday. Shows that seek to show that we as humans rise by lifting others. Support our Patreon, which allows us to keep making work that highlights different narratives that help us broaden our horizons, including a new monthly virtual community centered around book studies. 
Want to follow us on social media? We're at Instagram and Facebook at Dear White Women Podcast. And we're on Twitter at DWW Podcast. And of course, we'll be sending out vital info and opinions via email, which you can sign up for on our website, www.dearwhitewomen.com. Thanks for being part of the conversation. 